Mind Buying Podcast, where we challenge the stigma associated with mental illness through conversations about a variety of issues impacting mental health. Here we bring you news, views, and interviews that intrigue, educate, and celebrate recovery. Leading us on this journey are the hosts of the Mind Vine podcast, Daryl Mathers and Chris Bovey. So here we are, podcast number one. Welcome. And it's a pleasure done. to work with you. <laughs> this is, uh, this might be as good as it gets right here. That's, uh, that's pretty telling. So here's the... Uh, Here's what we're doing for everybody that's listening in for the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the Mindvine podcast uh, brought to you by Ontario Shores Center for Mental Health Sciences. Um, you can visit mindvine.ontarioshores.ca for uh, more information about this podcast and, and different things that we do here at Ontario Shores, which um, in case you don't know, we're a specialty mental health hospital located in fabulous Whitby, Ontario. That's, Whitby's and lovely. What's cool about, uh, one of the cool things about working here um, in communications and public relations like I am, uh, Daryl Mathers and my colleague Chris Bovey, is that we get to come up with ideas and sometimes they're taken seriously. <laughs> and uh, this was, this was, this was one, one of them. them. Yeah. So we thought, yeah. hey, um, we're in the business of telling stories about creating conversations about mental health, about giving people good information and uh, ultimately about breaking down barriers and, and removing stigma. And we thought, um, why not a podcast? Yes, entertain, enlighten. Hopefully we put together something that people will really enjoy. And I think uh, we're going to have some really good guests, both from an Ontario Shores perspective, but also some celebrities and people that uh, will share their stories uh, of a mental health journey. And I think, I think that's a, a great way to, to reach a new audience for us. I agree. One of the things that we're also going to do is kind of talk about what's going on in the world around us. And uh, it's funny because we've talked about this before, but um, when I first kind of entered the mental health world, I remember, so this is like 10, 11 years ago, and we were coming from a journalism background, uh, sat down at my computer to do like a media report about what's going on in the media around mental health and mental illness. And it was like zero. It was like nothing. And uh, the only times that you would ever really see anything about mental health or mental illness if it was related to a kind of a, a, a criminal situation or right. something in the courts um, or maybe abuse and different things like that. But there was never any uh, regular coverage about maybe the needs uh, in the system, like funding. And certainly there wasn't any stories of recovery, mm-hmm. you know, and right. uh, educating people about that. And, and in the last 10, 11 years, um, we still have a long way to go, but it's been kind of amazing to see what's going on in the media and how people's uh, perspectives around mental health are changing. I think there's still a lot of stigma. I think, you know, in certain stories, obviously, we still see, um, depending on w- what it's about, some sort of stigmatizing attitudes. But I think, it, to me, it's shocking. I, I can't go on, you know, almost every day or every week, I find somebody that's known whether it's a celebrity or somebody talking about their personal connection. Like it's just, you know, but, but it makes sense when you think one in five, right? When you think about how many people are touched by mental health issues or addictions issues, it's really not surprising. You know, it's just those stories, no one wanted to talk about them and now they're, they're more prevalent. But, um, and that's what I hope we can do with this podcast. I think there's so many great stories, guests that we can have on this show to, to talk about 
the different issues. And when you think about mental illness, it, it touches so many fabrics of our society, whether it's a health issue, whether it's a, you know, getting a job or vocational issue, whether it's support for kids or seniors or things. There's a lot of things we can do, and I hope we can give uh, the audience a really good broad spectrum of, of mental health and addictions as well. And one of the things our audience, assuming we have one at this point, well, but or there may be. the audience we hope to have in the future, might uh, be familiar with is uh, actress Kristen Bell, yes. who's, uh, I remember her from Veronica Mars. Mm -hmm. uh, she was also, I think her big break in the movies was in uh, Forgetting uh, Sarah, Sarah Marshall. Marshall. Yep. But she recently came out, uh, I think it was in May, and spoke about her 15-year battle with depression and anxiety. And uh, I think she's, there was an article recently just following up on the reaction to her coming out and and uh, she was kind of blown away by uh, a lot of the support that she received. And she's really, like, I know we've had a lot of celebrities at Ontario Shores come and mm -hmm. talk about their experience. But in terms of, like, big stars, like, I can think of her, Glenn Close, who's, talk who's talked about her family's yeah. history with mental illness. But she's one of the bigger stars to kind of come out and talk about this. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's, what's great about people like that coming forward is is they have such a huge following. There are a lot of people that admire that person. So when they come out and talk about dealing with mental illness is that you're reaching millions of people that may never have gotten the mental health message. And now they see someone that they admire and they love. And they think, I think it makes them see mental illness in a whole different light and a better understanding. And it reaches an audience that you'd never get, go to a, a talk on schizophrenia or PTSD, right? So having them come forward is, is huge, I think, for moving the, the needle and, and awareness. One of the cool things in the story that I, that I related to, um, she says, I didn't expect to be moved by people's comments on social media and about how they had been prescribed medication and never wanted to take it until now because it finally didn't feel shameful. And one of the things I, that I thought of instantly were the patients that we work with, right? Mm -hmm, right. At Ontario Shores in terms of telling their, their recovery story and you know, whenever we sit down with, with patients and tell them, you know, we're going to put a story on Mindvine or we're going to do a video, you know, they're, they're gung-ho, they want to do it, but there's always a certain level of anxiety that would come with that. And then once they see it published, you know, they're, they're so proud and they're, and they're, so, they're so blown away mm -hmm. by the support that you've received from people, that people they hadn't seen in years. And it was neat to see that somebody like Kristen Bell, who's, you know, almost a household name, yep. very successful in her field, kind of felt that needed that same kind of validation. And I think there's surprise when you look at, you know, stories that we've done, whether it's Chelsea's story or when we did the adolescent mental health documentary with, you know, Stella Ducklow and different people in that is the impact that story had on others. And he had mentioned with, with Kristen is that their stories empower other people to feel like they have a voice and to get help and to do things. So, you know, even our patients just being able to be in a place to tell their story is so huge when it comes to having an impact on people out there that we don't even know are dealing with these types of things. So in the next segment that we're going to, uh, next segment of our podcast, we're going to have uh, Barb Milden on. Yes. And she's the uh, VP and Chief Nursing Executive here at Ontario Shores. And uh, we're just going to have a conversation about stigma and maybe how... 
celebrities or people of prominence like Kristen Bell or even people in general, patients that, that share their story, the impact that they can have. And, and it'd be interesting to get Barbara's perspective being you know, a, a veteran in, in healthcare and in mental health care and, and to see how far we've come in her eyes and, and where we still need to go. And she'll just class up the show a little bit. Yes, we need a little bit we here, got to be honest. Yes, pretty much. Well, it's it's <laughs> the way we were working. <laughs> there you go. So thanks for for joining us. This is our first podcast. And and it might be our last. It could be the could be <laughs> the last. <laughs> we'll see. Him. So one of the things that we're trying to do is obviously just ignite conversations around mental health and mm-hmm. mental illness, and and offer some of the expertise that we have here at Ontario Shores in terms of treating people with mental illness and our partners. Right, we're going to be connecting with our partners over the next couple months and hopefully years in this kind of form. And one of the things that we were kind of talking about just before you came was about you know, how stigma and mental illness is portrayed. And um, we were talking about an article that uh, has appeared, I think it was in May, where Kristen Bell, an actress uh, that many people would know, like from Forgetting Sarah Marshall, she was Veronica Mars, she has a... Frozen. Frozen. That's, She's that's Princess Anna yeah, in Frozen. Uh, and she came out and kind of revealed that she'd been suffering with depression and anxiety for 15 years, and she's kind of kept it hidden, and now she's finally decided that she doesn't want to keep it hidden anymore, and she shouldn't have to, she shouldn't have to in, for, any, for any reason at all. So we were wondering, like, that element of celebrity around mental health, that advocate, it hasn't, that's new to mental health, right? It's not something that they, our cause has really had a history of. And do you see it as the an important role in kind of eliminating the stigma or changing views around mental health? I absolutely do and I had the opportunity to see Kristen Bell present a year ago, so 2015 I'm pretty sure it was, at the CCHL conference and she was absolutely amazing. So it's, it's hugely important for people like Kristen Bell to come out and talk about feeling depressed and what they experienced during that depression. And the, the reason that it's so important is that it makes it real for people and it brings it out into the open. And one of the hardest things about depression and mental illness is that it is stigmatized so that people do hide with it. Uh, people like Kristen Bell, in sharing so courageously their own experience, make it okay uh, to share it. But they also educate uh, the rest of us uh, about depression and about what it means. So I think it's hugely important. I think it's hugely positive. I think what Kristen and and others now are doing, uh, the Bell Let's Talk campaign included included, and many others, uh, are really bringing it into the mainstream uh, and making people hopeful that they can recover from it. And I thought what was really interesting in reading about her is I think at 18, her mom had said, if you ever are going through tough times, to get help. So there was a really good message from her mom to her at a young age. What do you think the key is when we talk about stigma to really eliminate? What can we do as a society or as parents or or people in the health profession to uh, eradicate stigma? 
Well, I think first of all, what you're referring to reminds me about having intentional talks with our children. Uh, and not only in families, so parents and children, but also in our schools. Mm -hmm. And so I will admit my bias. I'm very proud of what Ontario Shores does uh, through sponsorship and involvement in the TAMI program, mm -hmm. the uh, Talking About Mental Illness program, the Stomping Out Stigma Summits. That's too many S's. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and um, bringing young people together to talk about these, these issues. We also have had a role in trying to highlight, uh, trying to give teachers skills to have these conversations in the classrooms, particularly at the younger grade levels. So I think being intentional about it is really important. I think uh, having the conversations about how stigma can lead to bullying is really mm -hmm. important. We are certainly seeing a great movement around anti-bullying, the pink shirt campaign and so forth. So those are the kinds of things I think uh, we need to do to make it stop. Great. You have a lot of experience mm -hmm. in, in healthcare and in mental health and there was one of the quotes that she, uh, she's attributed to or attributed with um, in this article. It's, it talks about how you know a diabetic wouldn't be mocked uh, for mm -hmm. requiring insulin. You know, the, that's just a, we accept that as, you know, a diabetic needs needs insulin and we're not going to um, we're not going to disparage her body for not being able to produce insulin. And uh, with mental health and mental illness, have you seen kind of that change um, in people's perception just over the years? Like, how can you what I'm trying to say is the can you kind of illustrate how that journey has happened in healthcare from not necessarily understanding mental illness or not talking about it to where we are today. Mm -hmm. No, I'm, I'm happy to do that and I, I do uh, really appreciate her comments to that effect because she normalizes mental illness as we normalize physical illness. So those are important things, again, in, in making it acceptable and in making it understandable. Uh, I want to give great credit to the Mental Health Commission of Canada, so over its first 10 years put so much effort into education and uh, profiling of mental health and mental illness. I think that's helped us a lot. Uh, it wasn't that long ago we had whole TV campaign ads uh, about uh, depression and how it affected people in the moment. Those help us to again make it more understood and if it's more understood if it's more out in the open then I think people don't get as fussed about what it's about um, you know sometimes when we are surprised we react by covering things up or we pretend we're not surprised and that uh, adds to the stigma so it means that people don't uh, share with their colleagues that they're feeling depressed so I think that what she's doing through those kinds of comments and what the Mental Health Commission is doing and what so many others are doing, again, I'll, I'll uh, shout out to Bell That's Talk, is bringing it into the mainstream. It's making mental health mainstream. We can often see physical illness. We can see a, a wound or we can see a broken leg or we can see um, some disability. We can't see mental illness. And because of that mystery of not being able to see it, I think that's part of why people have said, well, it's a choice uh, or just get over it. Um, they're not recognizing that there is often a, a, a biological um, 
basis for depression, that it is, uh, it's attributed to, uh, it could be serotonin levels are not enough or whatever. But there are reasons, physical reasons, it's just we can't see them. And what we can't see, we make up or we cover up. Uh, and that's what we need to stop doing. Sorry, I was going to say, I think one of, the, one of the things that's really unique to, to stigma and mental health is, is the more serious or complex it gets, the more stigmatizing we are. So if someone has cancer, the, the more ill they are, the more empathy and compassion. And it seems like in today's society, you know, people can maybe rally around um, Bell Let's Talk and some of the softer, but when people have really serious, complex mental illnesses, they actually pull further away. Mm -hmm. And how do we... You know, it's nice, and I think it's great that these people come forward and we do all these types of things, but what about the people that are really, really stigmatized, the, the people with, you know, psychotic disorders and really severe? How do we, as a society, get people to understand what they're going through? Mm -hmm. I think the most important way is to tell their stories. Right. And here at Ontario Shores, again, it's been my privilege and my education to see patients uh, those who are ill come into our treatment programs very ill and respond over time to the treatments to the interventions and get better uh, way better and uh, one of the things that Ontario Shores does uh, again so well in my opinion is tell those stories when you look at our annual reports at our conferences or our uh, our meetings we bring those patients out into the open and we tell their stories and they're powerful stories because they're stories of recovery they're stories of hope that is how the public will understand that being mentally ill is not forever mm -hmm. uh, and that it is something that will respond to treatment unfortunately mental illness but not just mental illness, physical illnesses such as Tourette's or whatever cause different kinds of behavior, behavior that is out of the norm. Right. And we don't often know how to respond to those behaviors. What I think we're doing or trying to do is educate the public that those behaviors that might happen out of the, out of the depths of mental illness are corrected when the mental illness goes away. Um, I think the other thing that we need to do to help people stomp out stigma is uh, have the courageous conversations around mental illness. We are afraid in society to even say those words. Right. Um, we're afraid to ask somebody, uh, you know, do you think you might be depressed today? Uh, we see that in uh, mental illness. We also see it in the area of suicide. And uh, our concern about making creating pain for people actually helps us create more pain for people because it doesn't give them permission to talk about it. It doesn't make it okay for them to say, yes, I was de depressed, or yes, my loved one took their life uh, despite everything that was possibly done uh, for that person. So uh, I think that's what you're referring to in yeah. that, in that exactly. story. And we're starting to see that change. It might not be happening as fast as we would like right. as yes. a society, but we mm -hmm. have you know, on Ontario Shore specifically, we have patients with a variety of backgrounds, uh, living with a variety of illnesses who are telling their story. And hopefully, you know, for each story that comes out or every, every story we tell, we're normalizing it. Absolutely. And I, and I would like to um, reinforce what you've just said by saying that perhaps, and I've not asked her, Kristen Bell felt, uh, sorry, that was her name, Kristen mm -hmm. Bell, yep. felt more comfortable talking about that because of this 
period of time where we've been trying to, all of us, uh, meaning not just Ontario Shores, but society at large, has been trying to bring these out into the open. What gives a person courage to share their story? It is perhaps seeing that that story will be received with caring, with understanding, with acceptance, and not with, oh my gosh, um, that's not acceptable. Um, so and that's exactly what yeah. the reaction has been, yes. right? And it's not, I don't think it's surprising either that it's this industry that we're seeing a lot of people come out and talk about because the, you know, the, the acting industry has always been sort of very liberal and, and very open about talking about differences and things and sort of, and hopefully that sets the trends for people in other fields and other mm -hmm. places to come forward and share their stories as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you very much for taking time thank with us, you. Barb. It was My great. Pleasure. Guest yes. number one on our podcast, and hopefully we'll have <laughs> thank you. I'm back very down honored. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right. So moving on. So it's good perspective. Yeah. Right. Our first, uh, first guest on the podcast. And it sounds like she's going to talk to us after again, like you know, in the future. We, we, haven't, we, we haven't burned that bridge. We might want to book guests before she gets to talk to anybody about the experience, but but we'll no, see how that goes. No, it, she, it was good. She was yeah, great. She's got a uh, range of perspectives, you know, from her years in healthcare, and uh, and I and I like to see, you know, society's kind of funny, you know, in, in some ways because I think s uh, sometimes celebrities can, can bring out the worst in society, can represent the worst, or how celebrities are portrayed right. necessarily in the media can bring out the worst in society. But they also have a lot of power when yes. they're in control of their own message. Yeah, and I think if you see Kristen Bell and, and her respect, I mean, we've seen other celebrities deal with things like Britney Spears, and that has a very negative connotation. But the way that, that Kristen has been talking about it and just bringing really thoughtful context to the issue, um, again, I think um, really opens a lot of doors. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you kind of seen a bit of a snowball effect. I think is that a frozen years. reference? Is that like <laughs> could be. is that yeah, snowball? Yeah, that's pretty good. good. I didn't even try that. Yeah, but you have seen that kind of momentum building sure. that with uh, you know we see with Clara Hughes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mentioned Glenn Close. Right. Um, we've seen uh, Lloyd Robertson. We were at a conference. Yeah, I believe stigma. where uh, Lloyd Robertson uh, told his story. Uh, we've seen more and more coming out. Michael Landsberg. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, and we actually had a little, we had a celebrity here yes. a little while ago yeah. sharing his experience. Yeah. So we had, uh, and it was just perfect timing. Uh, Dan Hill was, was coming to Oshawa and we kind of reached out, uh, famous song, famous song. Um, although I can't, you, you know, can sing it. No, sing but it. I, I was going to say, okay, that you yeah, obviously the song sometimes when we touch was a huge, huge, Huge uh, hit. hit, not just in Canada. Manny Pacquiao, but covered the it. fact, but the fact that you had been singing it for like a month leading up to his visit really sort of tainted it for me. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad he, he didn't get wind of that because he probably wouldn't have shown up. But, but I um, did the best I could with what I had. But it was, you know, and again, it just shows you again. That's that one in five. We had Dan come in and uh, the connection to mental illness through his his family. You know, really sort of. A lot of cases from his sister who had passed away, unfortunately, his mom, different people in the family and and having his perspective and the, and the Hill family so articulate and not just, you know, you think of him as a music, uh, his career, but, you know, his brother was an accomplished author, his sister, his dad was was uh, the first director of the Interior Human Rights Commission and also an author. And Dan's even wrote in a book, but bringing his perspective um and even you saw it in his music, 
some of the things that he wrote, the personal connections. And I think, you know, we think about music and how, you know, growing up, we always put ourselves in songs. I don't know if you ever did that, where you kind of, songs, lyrics had, they speak, real, to you. they speak to you. They have a personal connection. And I think, you know, with Dan's music, and even if you go back when we had Chantel and she, she, the music she did. And Chantel Kravianczyk. Yeah, sorry. We had that music and, and she'd break down the stories and tell the mental health story in her music and the lyrics. I think they're really powerful. Music can be such a powerful uh, medium for people that may be dealing with things. And if it's the right message, to you know, I think that's important. So, yeah. So we actually uh, interviewed Dan when you he was here. I got to interview Dan. You had to... Because was there was a restra- well, the- you, there was that restraining order that he had placed <laughs> on you after singing, um, but he, you know, very, very gracious, um, and you know, obviously, we want to share that with the, with our audience as well. Yeah, I'm ready. Hi out there. How is everybody? You look great. Looks like a beautiful little community. Really glad you could come out this afternoon. So you don't even need me. That's not true. (laughs) So thanks everyone for coming by and I'm extremely pleased to welcome to Ontario Shores uh, Grammy and Juno award-winning songwriter, singer, author, multi-talented Dan Hill. Let's give him a big Ontario Shores welcome. Thank you. I want to just present you with something just quickly before we start. Um, It's our own award-winning kind of campaign. It's not a Juno or a a Grammy, but we uh, at Ontario Shores did a little thing. You saw the t-shirt, a hope campaign. And we want to present you with a your very own Hope T-shirt. Oh wow! And also your very Thank own you. Hope song that we uh, that we created here at Ontario Shores. Thank you. You're welcome. So we're really excited to have uh, Dan with us today. Not only to share his great musical talent, but Dan also has a close connection uh, to our cause of of mental illness and reducing stigma as well. And and, and thank you very much for bringing that conversation to the forefront in your in your in your words and in your music as well. So before I, I kind of get into the mental health connection, I wondered if you maybe could bring us up to speed on some of the projects you've been working on. And one thing I thought that's really interesting is your very unconventional relationship with boxer Manny Pacquiao. So I was wondering if you could share how that came to be. Well, the song sometimes when we touch has in it, um, I'm just another writer still trapped with my truth, a hesitant prize fighter so trapped within my youth. And because of the line about Prizefighter, to my surprise, an awful lot of boxers recorded that song. You know, often when you're a famous athlete, you can jump to different mediums. And so after every fight, Manny Manny Pacquiao would do a concert. And as a concert, the first song he sang was Sometimes When We Touch. He was quoted as saying it was his favorite song of all time. So I managed, one day I was just flipping on the TV and I just, just caught him on, a, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, and, and he was actually singing Sometimes When We Touch, and the audience, which was largely Filipinos, were going absolutely crazy. So I thought it'd be a good idea if we got together and made a record of Sometimes When We Touch with Manny singing, me doing harmonies and sort of directing him, and then we did a video together and a little documentary on both our lives and how 
two people from such two different environments could come together through the love of music and become close friends. And so um, I went to some of his boxing matches, which I'm not a fan of, but, you know, but to be honest, I don't really like the idea of people smashing each other in the head. But after the boxing match, he would go up and perform all night, and I would go on stage with him and do songs. And we did a, we did a lot of performances. Were you surprised at his vocal range and how talented, like from, from a boxer to be able to sing? Yeah, well? the, the thing about the Philippines, the, that's actually my number one market in the world. Okay. Um, I do better in the Philippines than anywhere else. I always joke it's because people can't understand my lyrics. You know, so they're just being lulled by the music and by the sound of my voice. But um, it was a, it was a surprise to, to have Manny so behind me. And then we made a record, and the record became a hit in the Philippines. And um, it always one thing it taught me was to always be open. You know, uh, that the great thing about music is it it puts you into positions and situations that you would never ex experience if you weren't a musician. So I've been lucky enough to be in a lot of highly unusual situations due to um, some of the success of my song. I want to touch now, your, your first kind of introduction growing up to mental illness, I know, came around the age of eight yes. with, with your aunt and then later with your mon mother as well. And I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about your reflections at that age of understanding what was going on or um, just how you kind of how things were as a young person managing in, in that environment? Well, it was very confusing and hard for me because when I was eight, my aunt who was living with us tried to commit suicide. And I still remember her being put on the stretcher and taken to the ambulance. It was during lunch hour. I was in grade three. And my parents told me uh, that even though she tried to commit suicide, she didn't really mean it. And as an eight-year-old, you have a really hard time making sense of all that. And then they said, don't tell anybody about this. So the mental illness was further pathologized by this, this veil of secrecy, that, as if this was some rare and uh, disgusting disease. Um, a couple years later, my mom became very sick with bipolar. Uh, back then it was called manic depressive and she was taken to the hospital. And at 10 years of age, I didn't know if she ever was gonna come back again. You know, uh, it's hard enough to figure out what mental health means at our age, but you can imagine how bewildering it would be for a child of 10. All I knew is that my mom was taken away. Uh, every day we would write her letters, my brother, my sister, and myself. And um, once a week, my dad would take us to visit her. And um, I really think it was because of the love of her, her family that she managed to get better. So she was in the hospital, Women's College Hospital, for a couple of years, and then she came back. And, um, you know, we were sort of trained as children to be ultra p polite, to never ever raise our voices in front of our mother, to never argue with her, to never criticize, for the fear that something might send her off. So there was always this feeling of living in a tinderbox that might at any moment explode with the wrong phrase, with the wrong words. So, the fear of mental illness and the reality of it sort of hung over our house. And as I grew, over, grew older, I found that at least half of the people in my family succumbed to uh, mental illness, usually in the form of bipolar or schizophrenia. Right. 
So those reflections, did that change as you became a parent and how you communicated with your son about, were you more open or did the, those things, you know, your reflections change how you wanted to have the dialogue um, with your son? I, I insisted on it being more open, you know, in, this, in the next generation. So I was very open with my son about mental illness, about how, how often it strikes us down and how we have to look at it like like any other illness, not with any kind of pathology, but it, it'd be like having cancer or diabetes or the flu. Um, and and you, if you're lucky, in most cases, mental illness can be treated successfully with the right kind of psychiatrist, the right kind of psychiatric drugs, but most importantly of all, the right kind of loving family environment. So yes, my son was very aware of okay. mental illness in our family. So you sh share with your siblings, uh, you're all accomplished writers, very, you know, Lawrence is a great author. Um, and I know Karen's book, Cafe Babanusa, was, was finally published. Um, really a remarkable achievement um, and offered a lot of insight into her own life through the character. Did you, when you read that, did you find any revelations about your sister that were surprising or shocking, kind of reading in those pages? Well, my sister died a couple of years ago, a tragic death. It was a sort of a, a fluke. Um, she was eating dinner and um, some food got lodged in her throat and she didn't get any oxygen to her brain for a couple of hours. So um, it was a very awful period for us because she was in a coma for about five days before she died. And before that, she was actually in the psychiatric hospital of Sunnybrook. And my sister, of all the people in my family, had the biggest uh, challenge with mental illness. You know, I, I would say every couple of years, you know, she would be, become psychotic and schizophrenic, and uh, my brother or myself or the two of us would have to take her to the hospital where she would be formed, meaning put into a hospital against your will because you were a risk to yourself and to others. Um, I wasn't really surprised because I went to Ber West Berlin when she had her first bout of mental illness, and this would have been 1985. And I, I saw it with my own eyes, and um, the thing that really strikes me about her book was how accurately she displayed how, how her feelings were and how her distortions would, would come into her mind. Um, for her to write a book called Cafe Babanusa, it was such an incredible achievement considering that her whole adult life she had struggled with mental illness. So. Again, that was one more person in my life, one more family member who, who had a lifetime, you know, struggle with mental illness. My mom actually has tried to commit suicide, uh, and we feel that is due to her mental illness. So it, it's something that is just a part of my life, and uh, it's something that I have to deal with every day, and I just try to deal with it with compassion, and with understanding, with listening, to what the person has to say. Uh, the most important thing is listening and being there and, and showing and offering as much love unconditional as you can. And that's, I think, one of the best cures that you can have for mental illness. Agreed, very, very well said. Well, obviously, when we talk about here, about when we care for someone who has a mental illness, um, it's very important to think of the, the entire family as a yes. whole. And, and I know. Um, your brother Lawrence, who, who also very accomplished author, wrote the Book of Negroes, fantastic yes. book. 
said, one of the greatest challenges of families dealing with mental illness is to provide support, not just when someone is in crisis. And, and from your perspective, looking back, maybe as a young person or family with your mom, what do you think is really needed? What can we do better to support families as a whole that are dealing with mental illness? Well, I think one, one thing is if, if it, it happens that you are put into the hospital, I think someone might have even just said this, the visits are very, very important. You know, uh, when you go to the hospital, you, can, you feel very isolated sometimes because your family are the people that you love. And, and so when that crisis hits, you know, the thing to do is not to withdraw, but to offer even more of yourself. Um, the important thing is to be very, very open about mental illness and to shed the stigma of shame that I had to live through as a young boy in the 60s and to, to realize that this is a, a genetic predisposition, you know, and that uh, we have to show as much compassion, love, and respect as possible and to not deny it or shove it aside or pretend that it doesn't exist. Uh, an interior show is a, one of the sort of a neat thing as well is is our hospital is the first hospital to enter into a voluntary integration with the Ontario Human Rights Commission to review our policies and procedures through that human rights lens. And what's interesting is your father was the first commissioner of the That's Ontario right. Human Rights Commission and, and ombudsman for Ontario. And I'm just wondering that perspective, his you know the, the civil rights, the everything that went on. What was that like growing up, and, and what did those values instill in you as looking at uh, life through, through that lens? Well, we learned at a very young age to just judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin or their religious predispositions, or whether or not they were particularly stable or unstable emotionally. Um, when my dad started the Human Rights Commission, it was a difficult time because people felt that they, they could choose who, who, to, who to rent to and who not to. And so if a black person was denied housing, they would have to go to my father, because it was just a one-man commission in those days. My father would have to threaten to either sue the landlord or have the landlord change his mind. Um, people got very upset. We actually had bomb threats when we were kids. We were told not to answer the phone. Um, he, my dad was a real pioneer. And the thing that we learned was just the importance of respect of the individual, you know, regardless of, of the of color of skin or, re, or religion, that there had to be respect. We were, we were taught to be very respectful and also very polite. And I think that still has stayed with us through, through the Hill generations. How do you feel that where we are as a society when it comes to now, I mean, we look at things like, you know, mental illness, we look at um, all sorts of things, race, all sorts of lenses through the, through the human rights piece. How do you feel we are as a, as a nation with respect to, to human rights? Well, I, th I think we're getting better with A, with human rights, and B, with mental illness. We still have a long way to go, and it's really important to have forums such as these where you can talk openly about the scourge of racism, or the issues of mental illness, and uh, how so much open communication and dialogue can help often solve those obstacles that come between you and someone who's suffering from mental illness, 
and also really important to live in a world that is not racist, you know, that again, accepts everybody from all different colors and all different shades of emotionality because we all have different levels of intensity, right? And sometimes it can just be a word, you know, uh, that makes a difference between someone who's thought of as mentally ill and stable. But the important thing, most important thing is to relieve the stigma in, you know, associated with mental illness and to understand that Beneath the skin, we're all just living, breathing human beings with a heart that's pumping and with a need, as we all have, for, to love and be loved. And I know your father originally probably wanted all of you to be professionals, whether it was lawyers and you all you know, went into sort of the arts industry. But you obviously wrote a, a, a book about your relationship with your father. How hard was that to write? And did you find it to be very therapeutic to, to put those thoughts to, to paper? Well, it, it was very therapeutic because um, when I read, wrote the book, I, I went to the archives where my father had donated his papers, and I got about 500 of his letters. So I, I was reading letters he had written when he was six, when he was thanking his grandmother for a birthday present, for example. I read all the letters when he was in World War II, from 18 to 22. And um, by reading the letters, I saw a whole different side of my father than the side that he presented to me. I saw the, the vulnerable man, the boy who, who ached for approval from his parents, the boy who was often lost and without direction. And um, it, it made me uh, appreciate even more how far he had come in his career and also as a father because he, he had had so many issues with discrimination, especially in the Army. He was treated very badly. Thanks very much. I know I want to thank you on behalf of Ontario Shores for coming by. I know you've got a show. Um, we appreciate your messaging, um, your vo lending your voice to, to support everyone uh, that, that ha has a family member dealing with a mental illness or in the field. And, and uh, again, we really thank you for being here. and we, we wish you all the best. Thanks very much, Dan. My pleasure so much, Chris. It's a, an honor to be here. Thank you so much for coming out and taking precious time out of your day to listen to my story. Remember, my story is, is in a lot of ways probably parallel to a lot of your stories. We're all just flesh and blood and bone, and it's just uh, whether you're a singer-songwriter, whether you're a plumber or, or a nurse or you know a healthcare practitioner, deep down inside, beneath the surface, we're all the same. We're just human beings reaching out for love. Thanks for tuning in. Visit mindvine.ontarioshores.ca for details on upcoming podcasts. And don't forget to keep the conversation going on social media by using hashtag Mindvine.